The coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced we for have decades. We have everyone in Wales to make changes in the way we live our lives. Stay at home during this pandemic. Welcome to Journos in Lockdown. A podcast created by trainee broadcast journalists who are learning to report in a global pandemic. As we've not been able to go out and meet journalists, we've decided to bring them to you and ask them what challenges coronavirus has brought them and what the future of journalism might look like. Hello, I'm Ben Pallett. I'm a trainee broadcast journalist, and last week I managed to catch up with BBC Newsnight's health correspondent Deborah Cohen in what you can imagine has been a pretty manic few weeks for her. We spoke about the stresses of reporting accurately when studies haven't been properly peer-reviewed, the possible health repercussions that may be prevalent on the other side of this crisis, and what we can learn from Jon Snow. No, not, not that one. Or that one. Anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed speaking with her. So yeah, thanks very much, Deborah. Um, okay. This is Deborah Cohen, BBC Newsnight's health correspondent. Um, and you, you were formerly editor of the BMJ for 13 years, weren't you? Invest- yeah, I was investigations editor. But I also did some of the other kind of academic sections and peer review and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. I guess your expertise is needed now more than ever. Um, so, has, has it been a busy few weeks? It's been un believable um we're really really hard reporting actually uh, some of the hardest and i've done really kind of big forensic investigations um both for the bmj and for panorama and and dispatches and things like that but this has been some of the most easily the most challenging reporting um i've ever done and i, I reported on swine flu but it wasn't it was less the day-to-day it was more forensic um towards the end but I worked on a journal throughout that period as well but this is this has been really really tough I think Um, making sense of what's coming through and trying to trying to be analytical and and not just just really understand what's going on it's been really tough yeah (laughs) I mean so walk us through your kind of day-to-day um routine i mean uh, do do you get up and the first thing you do is go through all the scientific journals um well it's no it's been really what's been really different about this because normally what happens in science and medicine is you do a study you submit it to a journal it goes through peer review and then it will appear um so it'll go through lots of process first and um but that hasn't happened. So you've got something called preprints. So it's a website, and actually BMJ is partly uh, behind this. So you can upload your study before it's been through any processes, so any peer review um, and any editing. So it just makes, and, and then some stuff is still published in journals, but it, it just makes it an absolute it's really hard to see what what there's been no filtering and so that's what's made it really hard because sometimes things are rejected for publication in a journal um so everything is getting published straight away in real time and that makes it very very tricky to to report on making sense of what is sound science and and what is isn't sound science I mean, how, how do you get around that how do you differentiate between the different um you know, publications and studies that are uh, that, that that are published. I mean, there's 
there's a whole wave of things that I just think, well, how how is that able to be published in the paper? See, I've seen smoking prevents coronavirus from uh, appearing. You, you, you've got um, vitamin D supplements might be useful. Uh, are, are any of these kind of useful at all? I think the, I know where some of the, the, the stuff's come from, actually. So the smoking came from actually a huge study um, of NHS data. But, but there are questions about how quickly these studies are rushed out because normally you would push back and you would say, well, what have you accounted for all these different reasons why you might see that phenomenon? Um, because when you do a study, when you're looking at kind of associations, um, you need to think about all the various reasons for what you're seeing and account for those. Um, and it would seem bizarre that smoking was protective but previous smoking wasn't so sometimes you have aberrations in the data um, and that isn't really being ironed out and it's other things as well like um, the announcement from South Korea that people were reinfected and that was made as a big announcement so people are making announcements before they're they're as sure as they can possibly be and in science you're never totally sure there's always a bit of uncertainty but but one of the problems is, is you, you, you do whatever you can to be as sure as you possibly can normally before you make announcements. So the South Korea, um, with the reinfections, which has really spooked people, it turns out that actually it was more to do with the testing. So, and they weren't reinfected. So you had some false positive, false negative testing. And that's why you saw the phenomenon. So on every level, things are being rushed out. So for example, today, and I've just tweeted, Public Health England have, have announced the results of an antibody study by Roche, saying basically they're as bad as accurate as they can be. Um, but they haven't released, published the full study results or how they arrived at those figures or the full data or the methodology. So for journalists like me that wants to know this stuff, it makes it very, very hard to report on because what I can say is they've said this, but I can't tell you how they've done the study. So I could do that as a report. But, but ideally what you do is you kind of release the full evaluation. So at least people that are relying on those results at least know a little bit where they are. And, that, and so that, that's been quite difficult. What's the, what's the process then? Um, is, it, is it just you kind of figuring out whether or not you should report something? Or is there a whole team kind of... Um, around it yeah so I mean Newsnight's a team and obviously I'm a specialist um I've got a medical background as well so um you know I'll feed in to discussions but then the other, the rest of the team will have things that they want looking into um and what's really interesting from being for being a specialist is that um normally health and science is quite a discreet patch um you vaguely know the people who are on the patch as well that you know, are on it day to day but all of a sudden the world and his wife is is covering health mm. um and that has some challenges if i'm going to be perfectly honest it's because what you've seen a lot of people calling out this is abnormal this is wrong this is wrong well to call that out you need to know what normal is so i think peston got himself into a bit of a tangle over testing where he didn't really know the difference between an antibody test and, and a pcr which tests for tests for the virus so 
as a specialist, it's we're kind of in the wake of a lot of the big political correspondence, and that feels quite a funny place to be. So quite often, I find myself in picking and unpacking what's actually been reported already, as opposed to kind of just going right. This is the fresh story, if you see what I mean. So, and the, the reporting around data has been really poor, actually. And I think it's it's hard. I mean, it's 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 really really hard. Um, and economists are processing health data and doing graphs, but actually there are real limitations to to understand how to look at data. You have to understand the context. Um, and I think sometimes a little bit of that is missing as well. So it's hard from lots of fronts. Hard because the agenda is being set by people that don't necessarily know very much about health and science. And then it's hard because on top of that, you've got all this science that's being churned out and you're trying to make sense of it. So it's really tough reporting. Do you think there's been a difference in how things are reported, though, since this um, pandemic has started to unfold? I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but do you think we've seen a return of the experts? Yeah, we have a bit. And, and I think that's good. Certainly, certainly people actually, but, but then there's a problem as well with, with sciences. I'm very careful about who I call an expert just because someone has a medical background or doesn't, doesn't make them an expert um, or a science background. And I think there's an element, a little bit of we see in the rise of the celebrity expert without naming names. Um, and I don't think that's helpful particularly. Um, so when I report, I, so when I very, the first film I did about what is a coronavirus back in March, um, I actually went to find someone that, a lab that's actually worked with coronaviruses for years, um, for 20 odd years, like, so like SARS and MERS are both coronaviruses. There's a lot of people that will comment as well, I think on the flip side, that, that perhaps don't have quite the knowledge that that they should do or the more prepared to comment on things with without actually thinking about what they're saying um so again that makes it really hard as well being able to sort out who genuinely knows what they're talking about and is the right person to comment as opposed to somebody who is commenting um who happens to have a professorship um, and again, one of the benefits of having worked on a medical journal is my rule of thumb is, would I commission that person to write about this for a medical audience? And if the answer is no, then I wouldn't necessarily ask them to write about it or speak about it on Newsnight for, for anything that I do. How do you, um, how do you get, how do you strike the tone right? How do you kind of write for the Newsnight audience? Again, that's quite hard because I tend to go off into my own little, um, I have people that drag me back to reality. Um, and, and, and because I, I think sometimes I, problem is, is I tend to think, oh, what will, what will the specialist audience know about this or want to know about that? And actually, I have to be reminded that Newsnight audience is a smart audience, but it, they aren't necessarily specialists. Um, so sometimes it's as much about that as anything else um and so i to be to be honest i'm still getting used to that um because in my mind it's like am i surprised by that 
or do I find that interesting? And actually, I'm probably not the right person to kind of, in many ways, I can evaluate the information, but sometimes it, I need to kind of go, is this interesting? Or do you know this to kind of people who, because no one else in Newsnight obviously has, has the same background as me. So it's sometimes a case of that as much as anything else. Um, mm. Rather than me just thinking, oh, that everyone knows that. Well, actually, not everyone knows that. Or I don't find it surprising, but actually everybody else finds it surprising. So it's great to have that team around that can kind of be the canterweight a little bit. I can, I can reassure you that you definitely took the right note um, the other day. I mean, I, I was really hooked on um, the history of Jon Snow. Can, can you tell us about what Jon Snow can, what we can learn from Jon Snow in this crisis? Obviously, that's not the... Have you got, have you got a medical science background? No, no, not at all. Not at all. It's just <laughs> interesting you kind of know. Well, the, the, I think the... So Jon Snow was basically, if you like, one of the godfathers of, of epidemiology, well, certainly British epidemiology, and there was an outbreak of cholera in London and he, and at the time, you know, we had um, a lot of theories about why people got sick and quite often it was to do with bad air. Um, so malaria, for example, is, is bad air. If you think about it, it's Italian for bad air. Um, or Latin. Um, and um, he went around and he, to find out people who had been sick, and he identified the source of the cholera outbreak. And it was the pump. There was a water pump in uh, Broadwick Street or Broad Street, as it was known, in London, Soho. And he identified that as the source of cholera and managed to get it kind of the handle turned off so people couldn't drink from it and get infected with cholera that was making people very sick and killing them. And then he went round, he went round literally door knocking to find out who had been infected. And we've heard a lot about contact tracing, track, track, test, test, trace, trace in, in, this, um, in this pandemic. And that's exactly what he did. He was, one of the, he was one of the earliest contact tracers. And actually that's very basic epidemiology that is still used very much to this day. I mean, we ha might have slightly more sophisticated methods of finding people but actually the basics of who's been infected, who have you spoken to, who have you been in the presence of, they need to quarantine to stop it spreading. And the idea of quarantine has been around forever and a day. I mean, the, the, other, th the other thing is, is you, you know, you might have heard the story of Eam in Derbyshire where um, people isolated themselves in the village and they pretty much near enough all died to stop the, the um, plague from, from spreading. So there's some basic principles that are still um, in disease management that are still applicable today. Yeah. But what happens is we get blown off sometimes by these big fancy mathematical models. Um, and that seems sexier, if you like, than, than just going back to back to basics and, and doing your kind of uh, shoe leather epidemiology, as they call it. So it's a bit like, as an equivalent would be, I think a journalism equivalent might be going and doing a door knock as a journalist or doing your big data scrape you know looking for your stories using data journalism i mean that's probably quite a good equivalent sometimes there's no still no beating just going and meeting somebody and getting the story from them rather than seeing what data sources are available um on online you need a bit of both do you think that might be the next big story do you, do you think there's enough contact tracing going on no, <laughs> I think, and what will happen now, I mean, 
I mean, there is an argument to be said that once an outbreak is really bad, then contact tracing becomes too difficult. Uh, there's too many people infected. And, and, but, but if we're back now towards the start, and the number of infections are really quite low, um, now is the time, if you're going to do contact tracing, to be starting to try to do it to contain the spread in any, in any which way you can. You're listening to Journos in Lockdown. So you've alluded in quite a few of your reports to the idea of transparency. Um, are there any kind of data sets or is there anything that you'd like to be released that you really think would make a difference in how you report things? Yeah, well, I'd like to know the breakdown of the ONS data. So because that's derived on death certificates. So whether people died primarily from COVID or whether they had other illnesses and COVID was a, a factor, those data haven't been released yet because um, that will tell us a lot about the severity of COVID and who it, who it affects. I know we do know something from the big data release that Ben Goldacre did, but, but in terms of what's driving some of this, because there's an expression, did you die from COVID or of COVID? So, oh, sorry, with COVID. So did you die from it? As in, it, you had no other illnesses and you were otherwise really fit and well. You might have had a little bit of underlying illness or were you very seriously ill and covid contributed to your death as opposed to the primary cause now i think that would be really interesting i'd also like to see the data on hospital acquired infections because is there a sense and this is what happened in italy is people went into hospital without covid but got covid there and then they ended up getting very sick um, so hospitals can become a hotbed for infection if infection control breaks down and it's the same with care homes so I'd like those data do exist and I'd like to to, to know what they are um, so there are a few other you know there are a few other things that that I'd like to know um, but but I mean a lot of the reporting early reporting I've relied on leaks of official data as opposed to data being in the public domain now we have more data in the public domain now but it doesn't seem ideal that I'm having to rely on leaks and it leaked data. And the reason why it matters is because I know the source of the information. And so I can accurately report it and I feel more comfortable. Um, and that's why that matters um, when there are official data sets. So I think that is a, is a bit of a, it is an issue going forward. And what do you think the next chapter of this story might be? I'd love to tell you. I really don't know. I think what, what I don't, what I think, we're, I think there are things actually, to be fair, we do know. I think we know that we're going to have a terrible recession. Mm. That's going to have massive impact for people who are trying to find jobs. Um, I don't think there's been enough conversation. I think it's been played out a little bit like it's economy versus lives. And actually it's not. I mean, the NHS has been, uh, services have been directed to dealing with COVID. And you might say that's okay, but then there's a lot of people who aren't getting the treatment that they need as well. So you're going to have lots of sickness and death there. And I think one problem is, is that for me, uh, which is why I want to do the piece, is everybody was focusing on, on COVID deaths. And, and I know from having covered previous pandemics, actually the infection is just one part of it you've got to look at the whole picture because 
if you divert your health resources towards tackling the infection if you divert your economy towards it there's a lot of things now that we're not going to be able to spend that 300 billion pounds on um in terms of public sector going forward in terms of nhs we've, we've really diverted it towards that we've really diverted all our attention towards covid possibly to the detriment of other illnesses for mm. example i know cancer drug trials have pretty much all been stopped um so there's going to be all sorts of illnesses that are affected by this and not just covid and i find personally i find that quite scary yeah that, that was going to be my next question that kind of did, did you see any any other kind of um uh, health repercussions on the horizon um when coronavirus becomes less of a risk uh, for like, me mental health kind of springs to mind yeah absolutely and, and i think for younger people and people under 45 and i am one of them um is that risks of covid are very very small um your risks of suicide are higher than the risks of covid um and that and and that that's an issue really i mean we you know we we need kind of honest conversations about that um the but obviously people who are young spread it so there's a, there are checks and balances at every single stage and you know there aren't necessarily rights and wrongs um in some of this and there clearly are some rights and wrongs i mean you know testing ppe care home situation but 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 some of the big picture stuff it's very hard because we're in in an uncharted uncharted territory and the problem with when you're in uncharted territory which is where you know the piece i did was about following the science is if you're in uncharted territory you there's lots of uncertainty and we've got to be honest about that and we've got to be honest about the checks and balances at every stage so if we put in health economics they call it opportunity cost so if you put your money in one place it means you've got nothing to spend in another area and so if we're putting all our eggs over here what other things are we what other you're all our eggs in one basket what else are we missing out on um and i think there's been a lack of discussion about that i mean i even i've held off a little bit doing it because when so many people are dying it's very hard to have that conversation because people are scared people are understandably scared people are understandably upset and angry um but i do think rational debate at times has, has or calm discussion has kind of gone out the window at times how do you manage to uh, be kind of objective about that without kind of being blasé about um, the, the number of people that have died, but, but also be being informative and trying to take some of the emotion out of the equation? Yeah, how, how, do, you, how do you present the information? I think it's just, I don't know, it's really hard. Um, and, you know, not saying I've got the balance right at all, but... I've always refused to do the daily death count because I don't see what there is to learn from that unless it's put in context. Um, because also as well, the, the daily death count that the government, it wasn't actually the day people died. It was the day that they were reported. So I've not done that. And I did do a piece on, but it was adjusted for day people died because the pattern is what you're interested in as well. Um, 
I think when I'm, when you're a health journalist, you get used to reporting on really desperately sad situations. Um, and it's hard, you know, my, my mum's my mom's in her 70s, my dad's 80, so obviously worried about that. Um, so have that in your mind. But, but I guess reporting on health, I know that how technologies are evaluated, you know, you, you have a cost. Is this worth buying? Is this affordable? Um, and I guess... For me, I'm used to report because I'm an investigative journalist and I deal with data. I kind of want to be able to see the data and get a feel for the data myself. And if I can't do that, then I tend to not to shy away from it a little bit or I'll try and critique it a little bit. Um, and I'll try and find data sources that I think I can trust and are reliable. Um, and I've got a really good network of people I can speak to, to as well. You know, I'm not going to pretend to don't. So if, but, but quite often, so much is instinct as well, is why do I feel uncomfortable about this? There's something about this I don't feel comfortable with. And I don't always know what it is, but it just puts the brakes on a little bit or makes me think, oh, what is it? What's going on here? What's going on here? I don't understand it. So if I don't understand it, Rather than just kind of take something as red, if I don't understand it, I try and find out more information rather than just go, these are the results, I'm just going to report them. I'm like, well, what's going on here? I need to understand it if I'm going to report it. And that, like I say, I'm not a news journalist by background. I'm an investigative journalist by background and on a journal. So that's just instinct that's, that's kind of developed over years, really. It's a lot of pressure at the moment to, you know, ensure that you're getting it right but it, it, does that does that take a toll on your own kind of mental health yeah it's been really 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 tough I mean it's the toughest reporting and it's relentless and and it's also I, I get frustrated about some of the reporting if I'm totally honest um because it People are calling out, I go back to this idea of people are shouting out about what abnormal is, not knowing what normal is. So one press conference, one journalist was saying about cover up of deaths and all the deaths in the care homes and everything else. Well, they're not covered up. They're just reported by the ONS and they, 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 they come out later and the ONS can process data in different ways. So maybe they haven't been processed in that way, but, but is it a cover up? those those data do exist and they are reported but maybe not in that format that journalists want but that journalist didn't even know about ONS data um and so I think there may be some reckoning for the media in this don't know I wouldn't like to say um but it's not it's not easy in that kind of quite a fervid environment to kind of just be quite sober about stuff and just be a bit calm what, what are you kind of most looking forward to doing when kind of a sense of normality resumes when that happens so who knows when that happens going out and going to the pub <laughs> if I'm totally honest <laughs> that is a craving just going to the pub 
um, I'm going to watch the football. That's small things. But I guess if the flip side is it, it makes you appreciate the small things, I guess. Um, And a holiday wouldn't be bad, actually, just (laughs) being able to switch switch off because you don't feel like you can ever switch off. And I guess there's a bit of me that is like, oh, I don't necessarily want to... you know, it's obviously some stories have been ahead of the quite a lot of stories. Well, yeah, quite a few stories been ahead of the curve of. But what what's happened is I haven't owned any one particular story. So I'm moving every, you know day to day to kind of figure out what's going on. And as much as my job's been trying to make sense of stuff and analyze stuff as opposed to get the big scoops, um, which I think I think it's very hard to point out. Until we know what happens in a year's time, how all other countries have fared, how what deaths look like in their totality, not just COVID, um, how what happens, you know, with mortality going forward, how excess mortality moves forward. I think I can't, I couldn't say with any sincerity that I really knew what was going on. I, I couldn't you know say that and people who say they do were kind of <laughs> making it up I mean, and there are clearly things that have gone terribly wrong um you know if lockdown was supposed to protect care homes well it hasn't worked um care homes have been an absolute disaster mm-hmm. um so but there's lots of questions and i think we can ask those questions and we can ask them but it's really hard to kind of make sense of it all in its entirety just yet. Um, are there any kind of tips that you'd give for budding uh, broadcast journalists? Yeah, I think just ask questions. Just don't feel always the need to rush in. Develop a network of people you trust, particularly on a science you know, health science issue. Who can you trust? You, you who just think about the people that you turn to for quotes you know are they genuine experts or because people like being on telly I can tell you that um and just just I think just be don't always aim to do obviously getting a scoop is brilliant and it's great and it's a buzz but aim to do a considered report and there is an element of, you know, fastest first and all that kind of thing. But in a pandemic situation like this, actually, people need consi- consideration. They need considered reports. Everybody's breaking stuff left, right and centre. And I don't even know who's broken what. And that, that will just disappear. Um, I think for me, it's I never wanted to burn my reputation in a pandemic by getting stuff wrong, just being fastest first and getting stuff wrong. For me, that would be that would be the end of it because I investigate health and that's what I do. Um, so, so, yeah, think about what, what you want to achieve. And for me, it's been being analytical and hopefully quite calm and considered as opposed to being the fastest and the first to do stuff. That's great. Thanks very much, Deborah. Thanks again to Deborah Cohen for giving us her time. And thanks to you if you're still listening. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Lockdown Journos. And uh, stay tuned for our next episode where Hannah will be speaking with BBC World Today's political editor, Felicity Evans. Until then, stay safe.